thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back. I know these rivers carry. Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and uh, it's that time of the month once again where we team up with the Kankakee County Museum, uh, which also has uh, another location, or they have the French Heritage Museum. We don't want to forget about that in uh, downtown Kankakee. I still need to check that out, um, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll get her. I know Veronica's shaking her head at me right now. I'm going to get around to it. I promise. (laughs) My mom and I were actually just talking about it the other day. Um, But we're once again uh, joined by the executive director, uh, Veronica Featherston, and then uh, Jory Walters, who's the research coordinator. Um, But before we get to uh, this month's topic, Veronica, what events does the Kankakee County Museum have coming up? We actually have two coming up this August. Um, August 21st is our Voyager Classic 5K, which is our big fundraiser for the French Heritage Museum. Um, You can sign up for that online. There's a registration site. If you even just Google Voyager Classic 5K, it's usually the first thing to pop up. Um, Because you're the original. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The OG. That's right. And then um, the following weekend on Sunday, August 29th, that is our annual or biannual cemetery walk. Um, so Jory actually plays a big role in that as well. She um, does all the research for the characters that we portray. Yeah, so. well, we can uh, we can definitely touch on that, too, uh, a little bit more for people that are interested in that. To me, that's uh, that's definitely one of the most like the cool, one of the coolest events that the museum does. It's just, you're literally bringing history to life. You know, it reminds me of the movies Night at the Museum, which are one of my favorite movies of all time. Each one of them is good, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, and and that's kind of, that's like what it is, except uh, we don't have Robin Williams, but uh, we've got, (laughs) we've got amazing, uh, you know, actors and actresses from the area Mm -hmm. that uh, participate in this, and they always do a great job you know from uh, even wearing the, the the clothing as well they legitimately dress up and look mm-hmm. like the the people from Kankakee's past so um, so Jory what are we getting into today as far as uh, Kankakee County history well I will be talking about the gangsters in the 1920s Chicago. Everybody knows about good old Al Capone. Who's that guy? I've never heard of him. <laughs> the biggest enemy, public enemy number one. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about, I, I did this um, this talk maybe, I don't know, 2007, eight something like that. And of course, I've kept all my notes. I've done a few um, since then about about this. So it's nice to go back over it again. Uh, so I'll talk about how it was organized in Chicago during the 20s, kind of give you an idea of who was who. And then I'll talk about their um, encounters down this way, Will County, Kiki County, and um, Iroquois County. So to start off with, uh, Capone was actually a New Yorker, and he came this way to Chicago about 1919, 1920, something like that. And Johnny Torrio, who is head of the outfit, also came out this way. And they were part of the outfit. Big Calissimo was head of the outfit. So other names that people might associate with the outfit would be Frank Nitty and, um, let's see here, let's see, 
Jack McGurn, um, William White, um, and a couple other ones. But what they did was they had an absolute advantage because in 1919, the Volstead Act was law of the land, which meant prohibition. You could not sell liquor. You could not make liquor in the United States. Couldn't drink it. Couldn't drink it. <laughs> well, did that stop the public from wanting it? No. Did of that not. stop the... And, and this was kind of influenced by, uh, wasn't it because of a lot of the soldiers that were coming home from World War I? Uh, a lot of them became alcoholics. Wasn't that also an influence, too? Could be. Very well could be. I I feel like I remember reading that or hearing yeah. that somewhere. You know? Most likely. Because they obviously they, they went through so much in World War One. Mm-hmm. I. I mean, what do you expect? That's what they picked up to Yeah, that was the war to, to end with. all wars. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. World War Two came around. But anyway. Um, so they had an absolute advantage and they all took it took it to heart. So before Prohibition, they made money through prostitution, through the rackets, stuff like that. And they still did that. But um, making their own booze and selling it was a gold mine for them. And today's money, you know, be billions of dollars. Yeah. It was all small time. It was kind of small time stuff before then. Yeah. You know. They just made it on a much bigger scale. <laughs> yeah. And they made money. Now, one reason why a lot of them didn't get caught, a lot of them did, um, was the fact that they did it in the shadows of the night and they didn't leave. Typically, they didn't leave a calling card, so to speak. They didn't leave any evidence. Well, you can't prove anything if you don't leave any evidence. Um, I will get to Cal- Al Capone's evidence a little bit later where, you know, they picked him up, but for the most part, um, what they did was they tried to um, steal each other's liquor. They would hijack um, shipments coming in. Um, one of my favorite from people, other from other gangsters, other gangsters, okay. other yeah, because I know people. Bugsy Moran, right, was a, a enemy of Al Capone, right? He was. However, Dion O'Banion was the head of that gang. Uh, before Bugsy Moran was. Okay. And Dan O'Banion had a sense of humor, and he really liked to set Capone up and you know, make light of it. Well, Capone didn't have a sense of humor. so <laughs> Must he, have been that scar on his face. <laughs> yeah. One too many times. So Dan O'Banion, the uh, redheaded Irishman, got it coming to him in 1924. He owned a flower shop. It was called Schofields back then, part owner of a flower shop. And to make a long story short, he two guys got out of a hearse, which he thought they were doing. He was doing flowers for funerals. Sure. And so they thought he, he thought they were there to take the flowers. Well, they were, but the flowers actually were for him, and he didn't know it because <laughs> I was always anonymous. You know, I need flowers for a funeral, and it was always, yeah. on, you know. Yeah. And the flowers just happened to have been for Dion, and he was making his own. So they got out, and they knifed him and whatnot. So um, Dion O'Banion was out of the way. So then Bugsy Moran said, ha, 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 yeah, take it over. So in the— um, 1929 St. Valen's Day Massacre, um, he said, well, okay, I'm going to knock him off too. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but these are the couple things that were Yeah, because Valentine's Day Massacre was 29, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was supposedly set up by um, Capone, and Capone was in his Palm Beach home. He's like, oh, I didn't have anything to do with that. Right. And that was Bugsy's men that yes. were killed in the so, massacre. Yeah. So um, Capone set up his own men to look like cops and to take hold of his of uh, Moran's men, line them up against the wall, pan them down, take them to, the, to jail. Uh, only Bugs Moran supposedly was like across the street or in his vehicle, something like that. And he kind of got a little wind of what was about to happen. 
And so he hightailed it out of there. So um, the would-be policeman, so to speak, uh, totally got him right. all they, knocked off. Yeah, yeah. they shot every, every, every one. one of them. Yep. Yep. And Capone was, uh, of course, disappointed that Bugsy said, you know, Bugsy was out. He was alive. Day. He was right. alive. Yeah. Well, Bugsy got so scared, he finally got out of the rackets and said, Goodbye. Really? Yeah. I don't. I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that part of the story. That that spooked him enough. Huh? Yeah. So was Johnny Torrio. Torrio was um, the mentor for um, Capone. Older guy brought him over from New York, and Johnny Torrio, tough guy, but he was shot one too many times, and said, "That's it. I'm out of here. Goodbye." So he went back to the old country. Um, so sometimes they didn't they didn't die um, within their profession. A lot of them did, but some didn't. And Frank Nitti died, but he died of gunshot wound to his head. He committed suicide because he was about to go back to jail, and he was claustrophobic. Mm. And so he said, "Eh, no, okay, not happening." So I have pictures of that too. So. Um, that's kind of the rundown of what they they did. It, it was the West Side um, gang. It was North Side gang. It was the outfit, the South Side gang. And um, was Bugsy the North? He was the North. And obviously Capone was the South. South. He's in the outfit. Yep. So when Capone got to Chicago, he was like 21, 22, 23, something like that. And he was in the middle management to upper management by the time he was 25. Torrio said, yeah, take over some of this stuff. Um, Torrio was in charge of prostitution, uh, making sure where the girls were, and um, always moving them around. Well, two things that were to Capone's detriment. One was... um, he left a paper laying around that got him convicted. The other thing was he liked to sample the merchandise, so to speak. He liked the ladies. What? He loved the ladies. No. Just looking at them. <laughs> so um, Al Capone, um, he, de- he developed syphilis of the brain. And later died from that. And yeah, because he didn't, no one, or he didn't realize or no one else realized that's what he had until it got to that. Because that's, if I remember correctly, that's like the third stage of syphilis, right? Is is when it goes to your brain. Yep. He didn't really start to develop that until he was in prison and they let him go early because he was dying of that. Yeah. 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 He couldn't, he couldn't like remember who he was and things like that. Right. At that he said point. he had a mentality of like a 12 year old. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but the whole time that Capone was, um, the head honcho in the outfit and he wanted to take over all of Chicago. He didn't, wasn't happy just with one district. So what they did was they had different, blocks set up this is my territory this is your territory don't come onto my territory with your rackets or steal my beer stay away so what they did was they did that to each other tried to steal and get more money um but they killed each other of course with with all the shootouts but they were very um intentional with who they shot they were not interested in shooting individual people who had nothing to do with uh, their rackets. And Capone actually did hit one lady, and he actually paid for her hospital bill because he felt very badly that um, an innocent bystander, you know. Right. They were very, specific, very specific on who they were targeting, like you said, because mm-hmm. they were trying to take over certain territories from other mm-hmm. gangs. Mm-hmm. So... Yes. So, um, so they made a lot of money. And another thing to Capone's detriment is he liked the limelight. Well, when you want to live in the shadows, it's not really the best, you know, 
uh, strategy. And a lot of people kept trying to tell Capone, you might want to... Dial it back a little bit. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, because the the public, they loved him, you know. They did. And it's probably because he was feeding them booze. (laughs) That, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And supposedly he had a, a... humane side where he did have um, um, charities charities or? and fed people the bread bread and soup lines okay. and did feed people during the depression now whether that was very virtuous where he really felt the need to help or whether he was just putting on an act who knows mm-hmm. but um, so he he had different um Headquarters when he was up there. He had one hotel and then he had uh, another hotel. He was in Cicero. But he liked to come out of the shadows and come down towards Kankakee, Will County, Iroquois. And he liked to fish, but he was, he didn't really vacation per se because he was always on the alert. His bodyguards and henchmen were always on the alert. So what they did was um, refitted some homes that they bought and made it so that they could do an escape very quickly if cups were coming um, or they could have a lookout. Sure. They were always a team and they always set up to make sure that they were you know, two steps. They had an escape route. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you're saying when he would come down to, let's say somewhere in, in Kankakee County, they, do you know specifically where, um, houses or, well, you're talking about these places? Yeah. It's, um, like I said, it's a lot of it is, um, through the grapevine over the years right. kind of stories that people have. And one place that is still um, alive and kicking is Edwin's Route 50, um, right over the Will County line uh, on Route 50. That is still there. I took a tour of, of it in the back room. It used to be called Miami Gardens, and he owned it. It was a restaurant. Al Capone uh, owned that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it does have an upstairs. I was not able to um, tour that because the, the person who owned it lived upstairs. Uh, but she did say it was very interesting <laughs> up, up there. Spirits? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> and just designed very much like a brothel and can order prostitutes yeah, come up. And, right. And then there was the back room where they, it was supposedly a speakeasy. And, of course, that's where the fun was, <laughs> where the booze was. Yeah. Um, so that is one place that um, is uh, in the memory of what went on. And also the two, the, at least one back um, building also was used, and there was an underground secret garage. I've heard about that. To there as yes. well. Um, so they couldn't see his car if they knew what he was driving. Right, yeah. right. And yeah, always, even though he wanted to get out of the city and get into the countryside, he always had a plan. Uh, and they really kind of stuck to it. Uh, and always the bodyguards were always, you know, wanting to protect Capone, protect their investments, etc. Um, another place that is seemed to be a place that he went was Nellie's, <laughs> Nellie's Resort. That would be the City Tavern. I'm not sure if it's still called the City Tavern. Yeah, I believe it's still City Tavern. City Tavern. On uh, North, I'm sorry, yeah, Northwest Avenue. Uh, in Kinkakee. And right by Washington there, mm-hmm. right across from the train tracks. Yes. Yep. Um, and I toured that place. I, I did questions. Now, when I did this lecture, when I do all my lectures, um, I choose a topic of interest, but then I do a, a lot of research and I try to interview a lot of people, especially for this one, and try to tour the places that are supposedly, you know, used by 
this um, these people. And so I went upstairs and, of course, probably remodeled over the days, uh, over the decades, and tried to get an idea, a sense of what it might have been like up there. Um, and it, Nellie Clark was uh, a madam of all madams. Okay, I was wondering if that's where the I was. was I knew there was a madam there, and yeah. I wasn't sure if that was Nellie yeah. or if that was someone else. So, do you know Nellie's? Did she just happen to own this place and Capone happened to go there or did Capone hire her by chance or do you? I don't really know the exact connection. I would imagine since they were in the prostitution business, he might have known her ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure when he came into town that, you know, things provided for him. Arrangements were made. made. Yes. Yes. I definitely do believe that. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, another um, place was on River, River Street in Kinkakee, um, in between um, the, the two bridges, Washington and Schuyler. There's a stretch there that under the viaduct, there was activ- like, uh, gang activity where they might have unloaded some bodies. I've also heard in the countryside down in the in our area, Will County, Kinky, there were a lot of gang land murders. And most of those were um, behind the back of the head. Uh, kind of just clean. Clean, you know, yeah. The, yeah. They didn't just, mess around. They just... Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, another place, uh, supposedly was the Hawaii Motel on Route 50 that was maybe a, a meeting place because they still had to meet their do their business to make sure everything was going smoothly back, uh, in Chicago. Where was the Hawaii Hotel in, on Route 50? And you're talking about in the county, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, right, I think past, if I'm Remember correctly, past Ralph, uh, Farm and Fleets okay. on the same side of the street as Farm and Fleet. Okay. It's no longer there. It's like a little kind of wooded area. And I believe somewhere in that vicinity. Okay. Um, they said that they would gather there and have, um, you know, their meetings. Also, the whole Old Sahara restaurant in Kinkakee. Um, on route, I'm sorry, on Fifth Avenue, uh, near the railroad tracks that was just demolished that building a few years ago. And supposedly also that was a place where they came for dinner and would have meetings, um, and who knows what else, um, and of course the Radicky Brewery. Oh, Radicky Brewery. Of now, course, <laughs> that isn't um, in writing anywhere, but there has been a lot of speculation over the years. Radicky Brewery switched to non-alcoholic beverages during the twenties. During that time, yeah, yep. And but uh, a lot of people have said, you know, stories through the years. That there was a lot of activity going on with beer barrels in the middle of the night, but it is the gang, it is the the mob. You really didn't want to get that close. Mm-hmm. You d- you really didn't want to but, witness something by accident yeah. or intentionally. So there was speculation that they were actually still making or brewing the beer, beer. and he had his hand in it. To me, as a researcher, historian, knowing this, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That that would happen. I'm, there's a good chance. Yeah, I would say he had his hands in a lot of different places. Um, one thing about the differences between the, the, the groups um, in Chicago were the West Side Boys, they did bathroom gin. They didn't care how they made it. They didn't care if you died from it, so long as you bought it and drank it. Um, 
Dion uh, O'Banion catered to the upper class, so he really wanted his beverages to be of the perfect, you know. Um, we wanted to make sure they were made correctly. Yeah, and they tasted good, and they, you know, satisfied. Um, also, Capone really was on that side, too. He really wanted to make more quality. Um, he didn't want his patrons to suffer. Um, so the quality and quantity were important. So it would make sense to me that um, that they would take over breweries and even though the law says you can't do that. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah. There's always um, a, a front, if you yes. will. Yeah. Um, their front, actually his front was an old used furniture store as the basic front. And you couldn't go in to, to um, look at any furniture antiques because they never had the door open and you <laughs> could call and they never answered, you know, the phone. But that's what was on They his... were just too busy making furniture is what yes, it was. Yes, they were and getting important antiques. <laughs> right. So um, that was... Uh, Something so the um, that was on their that was on their taxes. That's how they made their money, a couple thousand a year, and then the um, tax people said, "Look, we know you're making more." Uh, so eventually, they caught up. They right, caught up to him. <clears throat> caught up to him. Um, let's see, Juliet. He was arrested. Capone was arrested on a concealed weapon charge uh, up in Joliet. Spent a little bit of time. Um, a person in 1929, kinky woman, arrested posing as the wife of Fred Burke, who was local. And near the Rab, uh, Capone had a safe house on the river. Um, so these are just some of the areas, um, places that I have done lectures on. Now, when I do lectures, I do the visuals with it. So, do you is that house in Larab still in existence? As far as I know, there was an article in the paper not too many years ago that gave the the history of it. Um, and I've done this lecture many times, so what I do is I show everything. Mm -hmm. I've collected, I've kept every single paper that I've collected for the 1920s for the gangs. Um, one thing I will say, what, some people ask me this, was he in the mob or the mafia, and what is the difference? Well, he wanted to be in the mafia, but the mafia had a strict code. You had to be... 100% Sicilian in order to be admitted to the mafia. Well, he was about three quarters Sicilian. So they rejected him and he said, well, fine, I'll just go form my own, mm -hmm. you know, network. So, um, and then we hear about the syndicate sometimes. And that's when the... Um, Crime families of different cities like uh, New York, Chicago, um, probably Detroit, uh, probably some other ones that have major gang activity. Probably they, Vegas, right? Vegas. Or was that mainly the mafia in Vegas? They, I, I believe they were part of, of it. They formed a, a nationwide syndicate, so they kind of worked together Okay. instead of trying to clamor over each other. Mm -hmm. um, there's also something called the Commission. Now, that was formed by Lucky Luciano, who was an Italian in New York City, also knew, um, I believe he knew, he knew Capone. Um, and he said, uh, wait a minute, we can all work together here. We don't need to be fighting each other for profit. So they would call what would be the the five crime families of New York. And, you know what, I can't tell you that off the top of my head, but 
I almost can. So that's where the commission comes in. They decided to work together. And it was not just um, Italian families. It was Jewish. It was Italian, uh, Irish, Irish you know, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so they all decided to work together. And that wasn't found out until later, like 40s or 50s, something like that. Um because all the, the big people didn't want to be caught getting together in New York. So they all rode to a small town, I believe, in New York. And they all get their big cars and they go to this little bitty town in one of the mobsters' country houses. And um, they order a lot of meat and a lot of booze. And some people are like, Ooh, wait a minute here. This is a small town. What's going on? So eventually they were found out. And then, uh, yeah, a lot of them were busted. And then that came out that there is a mafia or there is a mob, you know. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I watch uh, a lot of documentaries. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. It's uh, very all fascinating. All different kinds, all different aspects. Yeah. Um, started with, with Chicago, but I'm like, I need to learn about New York big time. And then I wanted to learn about Las Vegas and how that got started. And that could be for another <laughs> yeah, another that's, day. That's a whole nother uh, New ball York game another right day there. and Vegas <laughs> another day. So my my question is I, I've read or heard that there was some type of distillery in Pembroke at one point. Yes. Do you know anything about that? Yes. In a a book that was recently just recently written, um, it says there were distilleries out there. And what they liked about the countryside uh, in this period, 20s, 30s, was nothing was going on. Right. Very sparsely populated. And who is going to come looking for anybody who might disappear or distilleries on land that, you know, is in the middle of nowhere? And if anybody got wind of it, either they didn't talk, or they were oust, you know, they were murdered. Um, it is only recently that I've heard that some people are willing, even now, to come forward because that's how afraid people have been. Um, the idea of being targeted by the mob was just enough to keep your mouth closed for a long time and not talk to you know, the police about anything. Um, I would imagine there were people that did, you know, along the ways. But yes, out in Pembroke, there were distilleries. But do you know who was connected with that? Was it Capone or someone else? It was Capone's gang, yeah, that was connected with those. Um, there is one name that comes to mind, and I can't think of it at the moment. Um and remember when when Capone was put in jail for his um, um, tax evasion, right? Yes, for his tax evasion. Thank you. Um, the outfit went on and went on and generation after generation. So people picked up where they left off. Um, but by the time he went to prison, uh, prohibition was over with. So what did they do after that? Were they still doing like prostitution and gambling, I would imagine? <laughs> yeah, and, they went back to their old rackets. Um, but they thought, man, we need to find some new rackets to be involved in. So I think it was Frank Nitty who had the idea that we'll lean on some of the producers and movie companies in, in L.A. and pressure them to do, you know, kind of extort them for whatever. And that didn't last very long. They were ousted. They, the police figured out what they were doing and said no. So that was one thing where he went to, to jail. Um, but... Al Capone actually in the big heyday, they he was targeted by his own people. 
for being assassinated because they did not want attention to be brought to them and what they were doing. Well, there's another gentleman in the 80s in New York, John, John Gotti, who is the same way. He was out in the open. He was, um, you know, very, look at me, I'm the big man. Um, that didn't go well for him either. Um, Joe Colombo, also in New York, same thing. That didn't go well for him. So um, the police actually caught up to him before his own gang decided to oust him. Um, and the piece of paper that that they found, I believe they found it, some stash house, uh, had a little bit of tax, inf- well, information to be used for taxes, a little bit of income that was po- noted that was not listed on, of course, his... His actual tax filing. Right, which was very low. Um, but the lifestyle they he led, he lived in a very modest house in the south side of Chicago, very, very modest house, very uh, modest means, but his clothes and his car and his um, other dwellings um, really told a different story of Al Capone. So um, the IRS really went after him. Uh, We have um, the FBI, of course, who were on his tail, and of course, the show um, in the 60s, um, which is on every Sunday. The Untouchables. (laughs) The Untouchables. And they were after him. But they really were after him because they wanted really to find something to nail him on. Um, If I also remember correctly, something about a bookkeeper. So so many so many things to to keep in mind. Some fiction, some real. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really were focused on trying to bring him down. And the Untouchables were called that because they couldn't buy him off. These these guys just would not be um, bought off by any amount of money. Um, Hollywood makes them to be a little bit more maybe than what they were, <laughs> maybe than what their job was. Um, yeah. But great to look at, great to see. Um, so eventually I think that's why the IRS went kind of so hard because they really wanted to nail him on something. Yeah. And that was that was their ticket to but, it. So um, they really wanted to get him on murders, but they just, they couldn't. No, get they couldn't. There was no, there was yeah. no evidence. Now, I would imagine gangs have a hard time today with all of the technology and everything. But to um, the credit of the these people from like teens to you know modern technology, they got away with a lot because there there wasn't a lot to go with. Yes, you know, to go on. Yes. Um, so, what else about uh, Al Capone or any other connections? Uh, to the area, to to Al or anyone else from Chicago in the in the twenties, anything else? Um. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. I'm just going curious on. to hear what yeah. other connections there are to Kankakee County. Um. The. Let's see, there was, um, if I have information correct, a, a local man, a local woman who, a local woman who really um, got kind of caught up into that, and she got arrested, I think I mentioned that earlier, and um, she was his girlfriend, um, I remember her name, but I believe the guy was Frank Hunt. Fred Frank, Hunt. Frank Hunt. Or Fred Hunt. My note's correct here. Um, Fred Burke. Sorry about that. There's just, there's so many people. <laughs> just, so many people, I'm telling you. Um, but the main thing to, to remember is when they came down here, 
They probably did a whole lot more that I'm aware of. I do talk to people once in a while who do tell me different things. I do believe there was um, connection to Mantino State Hospital in some fashion, if I remember correctly. To Fred Burke? To the gangsters in general. Okay. Something on that land. Um, yeah, after this is out on the air, I'm sure there might be people emailing me, you forgot this. You forgot this, or there's and also this. this is quite yeah. right. And yeah, I mm-hmm. absolutely, I understand everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just so much to, to look at. And also, but between the time I gave these lectures and more that I have learned in general about uh, gangsters in different cities, I have more on my brain than ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so, yes, please feel free to email me or call the museum and and tell me, you know, if I have something incorrect. Absolutely. I like to know, you know, what, what I had said yeah. that was incorrect. Absolutely feel free to do that. Um, sometimes I do get things wrong. And just tell me if I have forgotten something because I know I probably have, most likely. Um, but let me, in, in lieu of that, let me tell you some of the names, at least part of the outfit. Um, Arcardo Giancova. If I get these names correct, bodyguard. There was Sam Hunt, Frank Nitti, the enforcer, Jack Machine Gun, McGurn. That's where, um, let's see, Tommy Gun came out of here somewhere. Jack Greasy, some Guzik, um, Tony, Joey Batters, Arcardo, Frank the Diamond, Maritone. They all had a name. Mike DePike, Heitler. The, he was the, well, I don't think I better say this on the air, but he managed a certain area <laughs> on his own. Um, and Murray the Camel Humphreys, William Three-Fingered White. Um, everybody had uh, a role to play. And uh, under any of the um, any of the ones that, the different groups, um, West Side O'Donnell Brothers, South Side O'Donnell Brothers, the Jenna Brothers. Um, yeah, everybody had something uh, to do. George Bugs Moran uh, was a Banyan, I Banyan. He was a criminal, bootlegging, racketeering. Um, O'Banyan also did safe cracking. Um, can you imagine George, Johnny O'Torio? He went to work every day, and these these men were married, and they're right. Catholic, and they believed in marriage and family. Um, and then he worked, went to work every day, and he decided where the prostitutes would go next. And then, like I said, Albanian did his flowers all day long. Yeah, he was a murderer, safe cracker. He did all of that by night. But can you imagine he was a safe crack? He was a one who did with played with flowers all day. I mean, did with florists. And he, he imagine a hard, hardened criminal doing that on it because he loved to be uh, a florist. That just really kind of made me sit back and think, wow, these guys are too. It's that uh, multi-dimensional. Yeah, that's the split uh, personality. You know, yeah. the uh, two different faces, if you will, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. These, these, a lot of these guys had that. Yeah. Um, to talk about Al Capone's uh, face, he, when he was still in New York, he was a, a bouncer at a club and he was hitting on a young lady and the young lady was not much interested, but the young that he pursued, young Capone's pursued, and um, his the young lady was there with her brother, and uh, he pulled out a knife and 
right. got into it. Right, to his it, face. Yeah. Into his face, and he did not like to be called Scarface. He was a very sensitive gentleman when it came to that. Um, he tried to be in the camera away from from that. He liked to be called Snorky. Snorky? Snorky. <laughs> I don't know if I can say it in New York, but it's snooky. <laughs> and that meant just like a smooth, suave I see. Gentleman. It's just so really funny because Scarface yeah. just sounds like <laughs> so cool. And then you got Snorky, and it's like it sounds very, you know, um, dorky and yeah, childish like, and nerdy. Um, and yeah. Like on the playground kind of. You know. Oh, man. So are, do you know of any other, like, I, I guess you kind of touched on it before, but like speakeasies or anything like that in Kankakee County? I mean, obviously Nellie's was, yeah, or um, now, which is now City Tavern. Yeah. yeah. That was one I would imagine the Hawaii Motel had one. If they were there, I would imagine the Sahara restaurant had one. Most likely in restaurants or nightclub kind of of places um that's where you might find one that would that would be my guess um i know in chicago at one hotel was was on a documentary where it was a classic hotel you went there for a reception however if you said the right words to somebody at another door you you know were accepted, but they could be all over. They could be in the smallest dive bar in town as well. Yes. Um, but I would think that they would be at the more uppity kind of yeah. places. That I was would just, that'd be my guess. Yeah, I was just curious of uh, any possible other speakeasies in in the city or just in the county in general, um, maybe someone will <laughs> come, surface. Come up, yeah. With that. After yeah. hearing, after hearing about this, mm-hmm. maybe they know of some. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I would imagine there probably were many. That would that would be my guess. Yeah. Um, Especially considering uh, what the city was like at that point, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it the the law was the law, but people said, yeah, we don't care, we still want our booze, and so long as there was um, a need for it in the community or want for it, you know, in the community. I always say that he was Capone was an absolute brilliant businessman. He knew about supply and demand and he had it pegged. He was, you know, SSL all over it. He was just on the wrong side of the law doing it. Yes. <laughs> um, he could have made a great businessman doing it legitimately, um, but he wouldn't have made the, that kind of money. No, heck no. Because he, he wasn't paying taxes. It. You know, he very much understood the, the ins and outs of business yeah. and supply and demand with people. Now, if people, um, if they weren't able to make any money off of that, if people really decided, yeah, we're not going to drink because of the law or whatever, then they wouldn't have made, you know, they'd have to do. Now, and you had asked me earlier other things that they decided to do after Prohibition. Eventually, the... Um, Drugs, yeah, yeah. Drug mm-hmm. um, operations became extremely lucrative. Now the mob really wasn't happy with that. They did really did not want to deal in that. It's more risky, but you know pros and cons mm-hmm. of that. But um, so yeah, that was another um, thing that they did. Okay, but they had lots of different ways of making money. Yeah, some were more prof- profitable than than others. I would imagine so. Yeah, uh, and still today, I think um, they're not as strong as they used to be, as far as I understand it. You know, but takes decades. Once they they're brought down, they kind of climb their way back up. Of course, a little bit. Yep, it comes in waves. I would um, imagine. On one of the channels, on channel, I just know it as channel two fifty nine on. On UVerse, um, I can't remember the name of the channel, but there's a lot of documentaries on um, 
all of them. Mm-hmm. The 20s and all that. 20s, all the gangsters, all mm-hmm. the gangs. And some, some I've seen before, and I just watched them over and over, try to just have it all kind of be more um, in my brain and understanding the idea behind that and then the players you yeah. know, and okay. all that. That's good to know. Um, well, Jory, thanks for talking to us about the the 20s, the roaring yeah. 20s, or at least the more of the mob and the, the gangster era yeah. of it and the, the connections here in the county. That's mm-hmm. always really cool to hear that. And yeah, I hope some other people after hearing this uh, come out and say, well, th- there was this place too that was potentially yes. a speakeasy or a you know a hideout yeah. or or whatever. You know, definitely so. nobody n- nobody will hurt my feelings at all if you <laughs> if you tell me yeah there's more or this is what I heard or you made an error. Right. Absolutely, please you know let me know so that I can update my records and all of my notes. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so let's, before we close out, let's talk again about um, the different events coming up for the Kankakee County Museum. Um, we'll get into the cemetery walk, explaining that a little bit more too, but there's also the uh, the Voyager Classic. Yes. Yes. All right. So first <laughs> up is the Voyager Classic, which is Saturday, August 21st. Um, you can either one run or walk. And if you prefer not to do either, you can come cheer everyone on. We love that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can register online once again, or you can register that morning. Um, the race starts at eight o'clock. Um, so you can register beforehand. And that is to raise funds once again for our French Heritage Museum. The following weekend on Sunday, August 29th is the cemetery walk. Which is, like um, Jake said, the living history of some of the big names from the area. Um, and Jory can actually tell you a little bit more about that, too. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think maybe we touched on a little bit last month, but let's uh, talk about it just a little bit, mm-hmm. little bit more. Which, uh, what names from, our, our, from Kankakee County's history are going to be coming to life and walking around in the yeah. cemetery? Um, <laughs> This year, I, I decided to do it just a little bit different. Um, we're going to have people doing duos instead of some. some Singles? Duos. Okay. Uh, normally, it, people do it, an individual person. Like this year, I have a couple, Lamira Perry of Perry Farm, Fanny Still of um, the County Museum. But we're going to talk about her and her life before being the curator at the museum. Um, they will be individual. But I decided to do a little, try to change a little bit and do some duels like Warren Hickok Sr., a uh, prominent person in the in the community, and his daughter, Anna Hickox Bradley. Um, and I'll leave that as it is. Okay. You know, and it'll be a duo talking like two a father and daughter talking between themselves, oh. talking about the different things in their lives. Of course, you know, the, the major things in their lives and things that uh, intersect. Um, the name Bradley associated with a couple of things. Now the Bradley House is one of them, the um the Frank Lloyd Wright House. Um, and then another trio will be the Radicke's, um, F.D. Radicke, Radicke Brewery, his wife, and then one of his daughters. And they will tr- mingle, the three of them, so they'll be talking amongst themselves. So you'll be kind of witnessing them having a conversation as if they were you know, talking as their family would have talked. And of course, we write the um, the, um, the scripts, the scripts as you know, doing the the major things in their lives that would um, be as important to the the community. So I did that a couple of different places. It's also with the availability of the. Um, The the actors. Oh, right. Availability uh, of the actors. Sure. Yeah. I work with them. And then um, I tell um, Paula Sutter how how many 
places I have, people I have, in male or female. And this is my list of what I would like to do. How many do you have of each? And if they have an extra person, can we, you know, do that? So I pretty much have it down pad of of uh, the people that I'd like to to do. Um, and I try to do it's a, it's a big cemetery. It's the oldest cemetery in Kankakee, Mount Grove. Mount Grove, yes. Cemetery. And we try to do um, people that are, the, you know, older people in the, the community, kind of founding fathers kind of thing. And, um, but we can't make it so people from all corners of the of the um, cemetery. So we kind of have to limit our uh, walkability. Yeah. Um, so this year I'm redoing, you know, reusing, recycling some names. Okay. To do that. But yeah, I, I choose the people and I make sure we have enough information on the people. Um, and then I, I make sure it's all logistically sound. Work mm-hmm. with the person at the... Um, at Mount Grove, Dan Hayes, he's really wonderful. And then uh, Jack Clacy does uh, all the script writing, give him all the files, and then he does that. And um, with COVID, we didn't do it, of course, last year. We did it in 2019. So I had to get back on track. And I'm like, yeah. how did we do this? <laughs> right. How it's not did, like right. I've been doing it for, you know. 10 years. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and is there, there's, there a cost for the cemetery walk, right? Did you say that? I can't remember. There is. Okay. Off the top of my head, I don't recall what it is. <laughs> I'm sure. But it's, you can call the museum anytime. <laughs> I'm sure it's on at uh, what? KankakeeCountyMuseum.com though, possibly. We are right? actually switching over our website right now. It oh, will okay. still be KankakeeCountyMuseum.com. Um, Just a new design. But a new yes, a new design and everything. So, um, it might take up to seven days, it tells me, <laughs> to <laughs> okay. update. But okay. yes, it will be on there. Um, you can also give us a call. or um, I have the number, 815-932-5279. There you go. And what else are you <laughs> going to say? I'm sorry, email. Veronica. Or an email, yeah. Um, and I did want to point out that our actors are actually from the Kankakee Valley Theater Association. Yes. yes. I'm sorry, that's make sure we... what I was trying to... It's Remember, a, yeah, Kankakee shout Valley, out. yes, yeah. Kankakee Valley Theater Association, mm-hmm. always doing great things for the yes. community. So we've been with them uh, in partnership for a long time. So. Yeah, and wonderful people, yes. wonderful organization. Mm-hmm. They always do a, a great job. Uh, anything they're a part of. And then I have photographs of the people, and so um, I give them the photographs also to them, and try to dress like them. And yeah. if they have any questions about what period or whatever. I yeah. That's so cool. Answer those questions. Awesome. Well, look forward to that. So um, anything else before we go? No? All right. Well, just uh, it, it's being updated, but KankakeeCountyMuseum.com for everything. There's obviously also social media. There's an Instagram and there's a Facebook page as well. You guys actively post things on there. So if uh, anyone's looking for more information on uh, the museum is now open on Saturdays, too. We want to point that out again. So you can go check that out wonderful, as well. Wonderful. Looking for volunteers, too. Always. I did read that yes. always, but yes. I know. Um, you're in need of volunteers currently. Yes. So if you're, and, and there's all different um, capacities mm-hmm. of. Uh, you don't have to be a history lover. Right. Yeah. Like marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, anything. it's it's not just uh, maybe someone to uh, be at the front door, but it's also for what happens behind mm-hmm. the scenes mm-hmm. as yep. well. Mm-hmm. That may have nothing to do with answering history questions, yeah. you know. Or if so. you do like to answer history questions, <laughs> um, there's always room for that as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's something for everyone if you're interested in, in getting involved with the uh, the Kankakee County Museum. So uh, that'll close out this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch up on uh, previous episodes at kankakeepodcast.com or wherever it is that you find podcasts. Make sure you also sign up for our mailing list as well because I'll uh, shoot you an email every time a new episode so drops. We do have a uh, sponsorship program that I just launched as well. You can check out uh, on our website as well. Uh, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kankakee Podcast. And we release a new episode every single Monday. And our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. People tend to
lost it to you. 